Pastor Steve Converse as we get this special Easter edition of Graceful Truth underway. The Bible says that we died positionally in Christ so that sin has no jurisdiction over us. We don't have to obey the lusts of our heart anymore. For the first time in our lives when we come to Christ, we have an option to sin or not to sin. In summary, what Paul is saying here, in Christ, sin's power over us has been broken. And let me tell you, that's because of the resurrection. If Christ had not risen from the dead, sin would still be the reigning power in the world and in our lives. When you come to Christ, you cannot hang on to your sin with one hand while you take hold of Christ with the other hand. That does not work. You must have a distinct break with your old life. All of us at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, greetings in Christ, happy Easter. Welcome to the broadcast. As we come to you today, we do so taking a look at the empty tomb and its significance. New life. It's all straight ahead. Join us in an encouraging look at Easter Sunday with today's broadcast, Pastor Steve Converse. Easter is Resurrection Day. That's what it's all about. I want you to think for a moment, if you can imagine what that first day was like, that first morning, as that buzz of excitement filled the air. It was obvious that something unusual had taken place that morning, yet no one seemed to really be able to have a handle of it, couldn't get a grip of it. There was a flurry of activity from the very people who were too afraid to be seen or heard after the violent activities of the previous week. Surely something had happened, but what was it? The celebration of the resurrection, beloved, has continued all of these years. Because despite the concerted effort to disprove it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead on the third day stands because it has withheld and withstood the scrutiny of one investigation after another. Secular professors of history and archaeology who have set out to disprove the fact of the resurrection have come away with the clear testimony that history is an ally, not an enemy, of the resurrection. If you stop and think about it in terms of today... Jesus was dead on Friday. He was buried, put in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. That would be this morning. And I just want to let you know, I don't know where you're at in your life here this morning, but I submit to to you this morning that if Christ can rise from the dead, which he did, you and I can trust him with the problems of our life. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think about Easter or Resurrection Sunday, as we call it. But I like to think about things being full. Full. I remember growing up in the Catholic family. We'd go to Mass Easter morning. It seemed like we were going to Mass for days, (laughs) one after the other. But it was Easter. And it was the first day that we didn't have to do the Lent thing anymore. And for me, that meant I could eat candy. Because I always would give up candy. 
for Lent. It's just part of our faith, and I would do that. And I'd sneak a couple here and there. But for the most part, I was pretty true to my word. But I remember growing up in that home and and Easter morning, waking up, running down the stairs and seeing our dining room table, which was rather large. We had six brothers and two sisters in my family, so we had a pretty large dining room table. It was filled with Easter baskets. And in the Easter baskets, they were filled, just top, brimming over with candy. And usually in the middle, there was a big chocolate or peanut butter egg that we had made special. My sister-in-law just went crazy at Easter time and every other holiday, but it, it was special at Easter. And I don't know what they were thinking, giving us all this candy, because we must have just been off the hook for days, weeks at a time. But I tell you what, that's what it was all about. And I just remember those, those baskets just being full, overflowing. And it's even true when you think of church. I remember going to Mass after that and, and seeing more people than usual in the Sunday Mass on Resurrection Sunday. Church buildings have a larger crowd usually. Usually the music is fuller. The food that fills our stomach makes us full. After the service, many of the houses were filled with family members as they gathered together to celebrate the risen Lord. It was a day of being filled. Yet, Easter also brings with it some things that are empty. Some things that are empty. And when you hear the word empty, I don't know about you, but I think of something that is lacking. Like the time I was driving my motorcycle on 280 and realized my gas was lacking. And pretty soon the engine realized the gas was lacking and... Eventually, I had to call my wife and say, can you come and pick me up? (laughs) I'm out of gas. Or maybe when you're done eating a fine meal, as many of us will today, the plate is empty at the end. Maybe you're at the end of the month, and you're looking at your checking register, and you're going, wow, I still got bills to pay, but the bank account is empty We think of something that is without when you think of the word empty. So today, as we continue through this study in the book of Romans, we find ourselves in part four of this little mini-series titled, Our New Life in Christ. And if, if there's any truth that is to be conveyed to you today, this morning, is that I want you to understand that through Christ's resurrection, you can have a new life. I would like you to understand that this resurrection morning that we would consider the subject of understanding the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it happened, big deal. What does it mean to me? We're most likely all familiar with the biblical accounts of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that Jesus, the Son of God, was born. We celebrate Christmas. He was born in human flesh. He lived some, history tells us, 30 plus years here on this earth. As a man, yet still retaining his full deity as God, he lived a sinless life, the Bible tells us, without blemish, without stain, without sin. Then he submitted and was completely obedient to his Father's will. The Bible says he was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And we understand, as the narration goes on, that he was buried. But, 
Don't you just love the buts of Scripture? I love the buts of Scripture. But on the third day, Christ rose from the dead. He was completely victorious, beloved, over sin, over death. The Bible tells us that he was seen by over 500 personal people, personal accounts, personal eyes that set their their eyes on Christ, the risen Lord. And they testified to that fact that Jesus was brought back from the dead. And that's really the cornerstone of our faith, isn't it? If Jesus had gone through everything, even his horrible, pain-filled death, yet he did not rise on the third day, it would invalidate the very person he was claiming to be. The Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It would invalidate all that if he had not risen from the dead. We would be a people with no hope. We'd be a people with no forgiveness. We'd be a people with no joy. We'd be a people with no ability to have a true and lasting relationship with our Creator God. But most importantly, we would be a people who would still be utterly lost in our sins. And the Bible says that hell would be our final destination for all of eternity. But God. But God raised his son from the grave on that third day. Just as he promised he would. See, the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead shows us clearly that his work on earth was not only validated by his heavenly father in heaven. But that it also it was an accomplished work. It was something that was complete. At the end of his life, as he hung there on that cross, he uttered three words. It, what? Is finished. Praise God he didn't say, I am finished. That's what we would be saying if we were hanging on the cross. Man, I am finished. No, Christ said, it is finished. The work that the Father had given him to die for all the sins of the world... He said, it is finished. And that's the foundational truth of our faith. It's so foundational that the Apostle Paul, the same Apostle Paul that we're going to read a text of Scripture from Romans today, he wrote this, but he also wrote in 1 Corinthians. And he was once an enemy of Christ. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee. And he was out persecuting Christians. He was an enemy of Christ. But he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 20. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He wrote, he wrote this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, Paul writes. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
We are of all people most to be pitied. But he concludes with verse 20 and he says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, if that is the truth, if that is what we believe, the fact that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day, and that truth can transform someone like Saul of Tarsus, who ordered and approved and watched over the persecution and execution of many Christians. You can read the account where Saul was gloriously saved and transformed by the power of the resurrected Christ on his way to persecute more Christians. And he was changed so much that Christ renamed him Paul instead of Saul. One thing I want you to know before we get into our text, I'm going to show you a quick video before we do that. I just want you to know that no matter what your background is, no matter what your background is, no matter where you find yourself here this morning, no matter how far you have run from the arm of God, I want you to understand that his reach is never ending and his forgiveness and his grace never run empty. He desires for you to come to him. He desires for you to turn from your sin, from your selfishness. We were all there. We all understand that. And he calls on you to yield to his will, just like his son did. To yield to his will and call out to him to be saved this morning. Think if Christ would have been risen from the dead this morning. If we were the first to hear the news. I pray that that's how you feel this morning. That whether you're old in your faith or not, that there's an excitement in your heart. Because our Savior has truly risen from the dead. If you turn your hearts to God's word this morning, I want to read for us our text, Romans chapter 6, verses 5 to 11. We covered verses 5, 6, and 7 last week, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 11 this morning. But in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, the scriptures read this, For if we have been united with him, with Christ, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let me read that again. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, look at this, we believe that we also Live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And this is the key verse of this text of Scripture, verse 11. So you must, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus. Last week we began this little study and we talked about what Paul is saying here to summarize it is he's saying living in light of our union with Christ is the key to overcoming sin. If you understand that as a Christian you are united with Christ or as an unbeliever that you can be united with Christ, that that gives you victory over sin. To put it another way, you don't live in sin the way you used to live because you aren't the same person you used to be. 
We looked at a couple points. The first one being this, to overcome sin, we have to know that we are totally identified with Christ in the likeness of his death. And the two subpoints there, we are completely united with Christ in the likeness of his death. We talked about that last week. And that union that we have with our Savior means that our unregenerate life is over. It's buried. We don't need to obey our old sinful nature. It's not there. It's in the grave. The Bible says that we died positionally in Christ so that sin has no jurisdiction over us. We don't have to obey the lusts of our heart anymore. For the first time in our lives when we come to Christ, we have an option to sin or not to sin. In summary, what Paul is saying here, in Christ, sin's power over us has been broken. And let me tell you, that's because of the resurrection. If Christ had not risen from the dead, sin would still be the reigning power in the world and in our lives. When you come to Christ, you cannot hang on to your sin with one hand while you take hold of Christ with the other hand. That does not work. You must have a distinct break with your old life. The Bible says that as believers we became united with Christ in his death so that we would no longer be slaves, it says, to sin as we all were before we came to Christ. So if you claim to be a Christian and yet you find yourself still a slave of sin or enslaved to sin, at the very least, beloved, you do not understand your new position in Christ. You do not understand that the old man was crucified, it says, with Christ. And Paul would ask you this question in verse 2, chapter 6. He says, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And so up to this point in our study, we've looked at what it means to be united with Christ in the likeness of his death. And that brings us to our message this morning, understanding the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I said we're going to focus on verses 6 through 11. Now, I want you to understand that this text here, in verse 5, he states a point. And then it's almost, he says, now let me explain what I just said. He puts everything else in parentheses. Verses 6 through 10 are parentheses in Paul's mind. So you could actually, if you wanted to, you could actually read verse 5 and 11 together and it would make perfect sense. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you also must consider, verse 11, yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now remember, the first half of verse 5 talked about us being united with Christ in his death. And then verses 6 and 7, he explains what he meant. That's the outline. And we covered that last week. Now the second half of verse 5 says, Certainly we also, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And then he says, I need to explain that too. So he does that in verses 8 to 10. And then in verse 11, he kind of gives a summary of the whole truth. So we're going to kind of work our way back through verses 11 through 8. And we're going to start with verse 11. Because it's kind of the capstone of his thought here. And if you don't understand verse 11, you're not going to understand the rest that comes next in the book. But in verse 11, he says, in the ESV, it says, So you also must consider. Some translations say, you must also count. 
Or you must also reckon. That's the word that's used there. Ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want to share with you just briefly this morning what that word means. It's logizomai in the original language, in the Greek. And it's basically related, logizomai is related to the word logos. We know what logos means, right? Logos means what? The word. It means word. It can also mean deed. It can also mean fact. It was used in a couple different ways in in the Greek culture. First of all, it was used with buyers and sellers of things. It was used in commercial ways. This word was logizomai, to reckon. And it, it, it had the idea of evaluating an object's worth or reckoning up a project's gain or losses. Some of you who are accountants here, you'll appreciate this. It's a bookkeeping term. That's what it is. I mean, some people enjoy keeping books. Go figure. I, I don't get it. You know, that's just not, that doesn't float my boat. I don't know. But some people, man, they just love it. They get in there and, boy, everything's got to add up perfectly. And we get kind of, our, in our own English language, we get certain words from this Greek word, logizomai. When you stop and you think about it, we preserve the word in such words as log, when you log something, or log- logistics. We've all seen the UPS commercial, you know, we love logistics, or logarithm. Okay, those three words represent really logizomai. When you think about a, something that's a log, it refers to a numerical record of a ship or an airplane's progress. I remember when I used to drive a limousine, I used to have to keep log into a book how many hours I was driving. And then you had to take a break. You logged it in. You think of the word logistics. It's, it's really a military term dealing with numbers and movements of troops and supplies. Well, you have been listening to Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. And it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. And if not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth program, give us a call. You can call us at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City at 650-366-9923. Questions, comments about the broadcast, maybe you'd like a copy on CD. Well, get a hold of us at 650-366-9923. We also rely upon our listeners as we continue the ministry. It is in part through your prayerful support that we're able to continue the ministry here on KFAX. So would you consider that as you contact us? Again, 650-366-9923. On the web, gracefultruth.org. And now, to close out our time together today, once again, our teacher and pastor. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I have a special announcement for the ladies in our listening audience. We'll be hosting a women's expository conference with special speaker Colleen McFadden from the Simeon Trust on Saturday, April 9th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. 
This conference will be beneficial for women who teach Bible studies, Sunday school, or just enjoy studying God's Word. Colleen is a very gifted teacher who will be sharing with our ladies the importance of expository principles in both Bible study and teaching. Breakfast and lunch will be provided, and there's a registration fee of just $25. The registration form can be downloaded from our website, gracebibleonline.org, and mailed in in advance with your payment. Pre-registration is required, and we are encouraging our ladies to register early because seating will be limited. Once again, we'll be hosting a women's expository conference with special speaker Colleen McFadden from the Simeon Trust on Saturday, April 9th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Please check out our website for all the details and registration form. Well, thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we would love to hear from you. Again, the ways you can contact us, we have a couple three. First, our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, 650-366-9923. As always, you're welcome to write to us at Graceful Truth, 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's here in Redwood City. And our zip code is 94061. Of course, everything that Pastor Steve mentioned a moment ago can be found on our website, gracefultruth.org. Again, you can get to us at gracefultruth.org. And when you stop by our website, drop us an email. Let us know you paid us a visit. Questions, comments, prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you. So take a moment and write when you stop by gracefultruth.org or simply call us at 650-366-9923. Our thanks to you for joining us today, and until next week at this same time, God bless.